Welcome to the Talking Skiing Podcast. I'm Lenny Joseph, and today we're talking with Alex Kittrell. He's a heli ski guide that works for Sun Valley Heli Ski as well as Majestic Heli Ski in Alaska. In this episode, we talk with Alex about what it takes to become a heli ski guide, his work in New Zealand as a ski patroller, and we even talk about what width skis he likes to use while he's out guiding and what gear he always makes sure that he has with him. Let's get right into our conversation with Alex Kittrell. So you've been able to make a career living and working in the mountains. How long have you been working for Sun Valley Heli Ski, Alex? Uh, this is my 11th season coming coming up on this year. And then I also work for Majestic Heli Ski in Alaska, and this will be my sixth season coming up with those guys. Wow. So you've been doing this for quite a while. Now, you haven't always lived in the mountains. Uh, you're originally from Missouri, right? That's correct. How'd you get from Missouri all the way to becoming a heli ski guide? Oh, long, long way there. Um, I definitely, my parents, you know, even being from Missouri, I was raised uh, in a very adventurous spirit. And I did a lot of backpacking and even started rock climbing when I was 15 in Missouri. And Went to uh, New Mexico and when I was 14 and saw the Rockies there. And I, I knew right then, I, I knew I was moving to the Rockies after I graduated high school. So much so that I told my parents and my brother and sister that um, as soon as I graduated high school, I would, I would head west. And then uh, I did that and moved to uh, Vail, Colorado. Avon, actually, uh, Beaver Creek Ski Resort owned by Vail for my first season. Then ended up in Boise. Um, I, I love Idaho. It's it's my favorite state. And then I ended up in Sun Valley because I was working there for the Forest Service and loved Sun Valley so much to catch them, Sun Valley area that I just stayed. And then heli skied. Uh, that was a total kind of just happened. I was uh, I was doing a lot of ski touring and I was a ski bum at the time. You know, I was working doing a tree work and, and logging in the, in the summer. And then in the winter, I would just ski bum. And I was telling one of my friends, Matt Leidecker, I said, man, I, I got to get a job in the winter. I, I need to make a little more money. And he said, well, you know, they have an internship at Sun Valley Heli Ski. And his brother at the time, Eric Leidecker was the operations manager. And uh, I applied. It, it actually took, I think it was the second year I applied for it. I got it the first year they had somebody else. And then, and then I just worked my way starting at the bottom as a, what we call a dispatching position, which is like someone that fuels the helicopters and keeps track of everything. And does a lot of, a lot of work actually. And then worked my way up through to become a guide. You know, you don't always think about all the different steps that it takes to becoming a heli ski guide from doing the paperwork to fueling the helicopter to actually getting them down the mountain, huh? Oh, absolutely. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's interesting that the paperwork to skiing ratio, the, the more you move up in the heli ski world, it seems like the, the more paperwork there is to get, uh, uh, that one or six hours of skiing in the aircraft. There's a lot of behind the scenes work for everybody. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. You think the clients just show up in the morning and you put them in the helicopter, take them to the top and, they ski back down, but there's a lot that goes into a day of heli skiing uh, from your end, right? Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of, from, uh, you know, like we're looking at the forecasts for snow, we're looking for stability and ski quality. Obviously we want good skiing, but we also want it to be in a, in a safe place and then profiling our guests, you know, making sure 
if they have any medical concerns, we know about them and are prepared for that. Uh, their abilities, trying to get them grouped up into groups of similar abilities. And there's obviously shoveling and fixing machines. And, you know, we got to weigh everybody. We got to get everybody's weights and get an aircraft manifest. Um, we need to supply the pilot with a manifest that tells him everything that goes in the helicopter, like including equipment. So we have to get all that sorted out. And then and then, yeah, then do the, the real part of the job, which is the customer service. You know, it's a customer service industry. So at the end of the day, then we're running around all morning trying to do all that stuff so that we can walk up to, to somebody that's chosen to go skiing with us and introduce ourselves and try to show them the time of their lives. Yeah. Yeah. I think the last time we were hanging out, uh, you had mentioned that you had just gotten back from a trip and, you know, you'd taken out some, some multimillionaires and and taking them out heli skiing. But, you know, you were saying that you like to try to treat everybody as equal as possible, you know, whether it be someone that has a lot of money that can go heli skiing pretty much whenever they want to somebody that's maybe saved up for a long time. And this is this is one of the trips of their lifetime. Talk to me a little bit about your mindset going into guiding clients. Uh, absolutely. Uh, like regarding that, I mean, it's, it's uh, people pay you know, a fair amount of money to go heli skiing because of the cost of aviation. And, and I just, it's pretty simple. I just look at it as like, I, I, I want each person to have the best experience they can. Different people need different things sometimes as far as skiing and also just attitudes, you know, trying to kind of figure out somebody and what they need. Like maybe they need support. Maybe, maybe they need a little bit easier run, but yeah, I just feel like you know, the, the skiing, you're, you're always doing your best. The, the, the environment is what it is. Like, that's not something you can control. You're, you're doing your best with that. But another thing you can control is just attitudes. And, uh, you know, that's, that's part of, of trying to make someone have a really, really good day is, is your attitude and how you interact with them. Yeah. I mean, it probably really translates, right? I mean, they're going to feel it right away if you're not having the best day or Maybe you didn't get all that much sleep last night and, and you let it show. So you've really got to put all that aside and, and really not let them see how you're feeling and, and just make sure that they have a really good day for the four or five, you know, maybe six hours that you're with them, right? Absolutely. You know, you may be under an incredible amount of stress from decision making, but you're, you're really trying to keep that in your own head and then like in front of them, just show your cool and smiley self, uh, regardless of the not just the personal stresses you might be feeling, but also work stresses, environmental stresses. I mean, it, it is a hard job. There's a, there's a lot of decisions to make in a day. Um, you're trying to basically insulate your clients from that because that's what they're paying you to make those decisions. So you're insulating them against that and just keeping that in, in your own head. Some people want to know what you're thinking and that's fine too. And then maybe you'll share, but yeah, just uh, keep on a good face. Yeah, I guess you don't really think about all that. I mean, there is a lot that goes into a day of heli skiing, a lot of decisions that need to be made. I'm sure when those guys get to the top of the hill, they're ready to go. But uh, sometimes you probably got to reel them in a little bit, huh? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that, that goes back to really sizing up your guests. And so some people are going to need a little boost in confidence and, you know, other people... You might just need to be like, hey, man, I, I just we got to back off a little bit here. You know, like this isn't the the day. Like Jumping is a great example. You know, people say, hey, can I hit jumps today? And sometimes the snow's 
a little shallow, you know, it's good skiing or there's not enough coverage or maybe we're just really, really far out somewhere and it's like, you know, maybe today's not the day to jump because it just takes one little slip up and then you got to somebody hurt. Yeah. I mean, when that helicopter takes off, uh, you're in the backcountry, and I'd imagine sometimes the guests think, well, I don't, I don't need to really be paying attention anymore, but they do need to still be paying attention, huh? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, it's a team, you know, you, you really need need to summon up trust from your your guests and get any help you can from them they might see something you don't see and then yeah we have all the ability to rescue someone that gets hurt but nothing ruins an awesome day of heli skiing like someone getting hurt you know like you, you don't get thanked for when you when you don't hurt people but it certainly ruins the day if someone does get hurt so you're just kind of trying to usher people through this process um, and sometimes you're making saves that no one even even knows, you know, and sometimes you don't even know, but you're just trying to do the best based on your best judgment. Sure. Sure. And when people are getting ready to come out and spend a day with you, is there some stuff that you send them to get them ready before they come out and fly with you? Yeah. Like in the weeks prior, we just kind of prep them on the equipment and the logistics. And then when you show up, then we're going to take everyone through a, a briefing and the briefing is going to be and include uh, a section on avalanches, like if something does happen, how to do that, including companion rescue, which is, you know, what we call if you have to self-extricate someone. Uh, and then talk about the aircraft. Aviation is obviously really important. Uh, crazy, fun helicopters make a lot of noise and they're really exciting, but we actually uh, want to move slowly around it and, and treat it with respect. And then just some other odds and ends about being in the backcountry and hazards that people might face that aren't aren't avalanche related. So we'll, we do that like when people show up uh, so that it's fresh in their mind. Sure. And I know for a lot of people, I would think the helicopter ride has got to be a big part of the trip. I know I've been in a helicopter just a, a couple of times, not for any sort of medical reason, uh, luckily, but just to get out and, and do some skiing. Uh, but for a lot of people, I would imagine the helicopter is something special. And, and it's really hard to explain if you haven't been in a helicopter before because it's super unique. I mean, it's way different than an airplane. Uh, that a lot of people have been on or in, but, uh, I mean, how, how would you describe uh, riding in a helicopter, Alex? Um, it's just bizarre. Uh, it's kind of in, in my mind, sometimes it's amazing that you're in the air just because the physics of it are so complicated, but it's just a mountain taxi. I mean, that, that's one of the things I am. I love skiing. I absolutely love all kinds of skiing. But I will say that like in my career, the addiction has become partly just the aircraft, like the ability to just fly into a remote area and land on these little bitty spots and get out um, is kind of addictive. Yeah, I can see that being pretty addicting, especially when you're out there day after day. Hey, when you're out there skiing, are you able to focus in on the snow or are you just uh, pretty focus in on the guests? Uh, it can be both. Uh, I definitely love the job. I will say. Sometimes when you're going every day for a long time, it's easy to forget about how lucky you are. And uh, I do have a little trick built into the, to the way I do it uh, when I'm getting picked up at the bottom and the helicopter, I double check my pad and look around and make sure I'm happy again and double, triple check that I like the landing. And then when the helicopter kind of does a big turn and comes in and starts to get close right after I do all my checks again, I, I think to myself, this is awesome because that way I'm always trying to remind myself that, it's a, you know, it's as a guest or as a guide, it's, it's a very, very small percentage of the world that gets to do that. So uh, it's important, important to stay, stay grateful for that. 
Yeah, because you do get out, I would say, and ski more than your fair share. I know I really only had it happen to me a couple times is when you're out skiing and you're on a super long pitch and you're able to realize, hey, I'm making turns down through this. I mean, you, you don't get that all that often in the ski resort. Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, there's that that kind of skiing you're describing is the the runs that sometimes you just wish they were forever, you know. Like it just was like a 10 mile long run, but luckily we do get back in and go back up to the top of another run, so in a sense it it is, but uh the other thing I think's really surreal is just, you know, in the morning you you get the gas, everyone's rushing around, like you're trying to get out the door and it's, I won't, wouldn't say it's rush, 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 but it feels like it is because you're trying to manage everyone and get everyone together to get out there. And then you fly out and the helicopter is loud and then like get out at the top and the helicopter is loud and then the helicopter takes off and all of a sudden it's quiet and you're, you're just there on top of the mountain and it's time to go skiing. That's, that's one of my, uh, favorite times. I really just enjoy that. Yeah. I would imagine there's really nothing like getting dropped off at the top and then getting to ski back down. Plus you guys have a big range that you get to choose from uh, each day to get out and go skiing. I mean, there's really not that many spots that other people can get to. I mean, I would imagine they could hike in or, or snowmobile in, but for the most part, I mean, you guys have it all to yourself, huh? Yeah, absolutely. Some some of our terrain at Sun Valley Heli Ski is accessible uh, by a long tour, and then some of it's machine accessible by a snowmobile. But then a lot of it's just really hard to get to or even closed uh, to anyone besides someone who would be on foot, which would take them days to get in there. And then up in Alaska, there's a bunch of terrain up there too. It's, it's kind of the same. There's places people tour, but it would take a long, long time to get to. And then some machine access and some stuff that's just almost impossible to get to without a helicopter. Yeah. I'd imagine that's one of the benefits of being in Idaho and Alaska as well, is that there's just so much terrain. I mean, you're not really going to hit another town or another ski area. I mean, you've pretty much just got endless and endless amounts of terrain out there. Yeah. It's, it's almost so that sometimes the you're like, where am I again? It's like, oh yeah, now I know where I'm at. Like there's a lot of mountains. Yeah. I mean, I know you've skied a ton of different mountain ranges over the years. I know you spent some time down in New Zealand and uh, you just uh, seem to be one of those guys that is wherever there's a job, there you are. I know you've done some work with the Forest Service. And I think the last time I saw you, you're heading down to California to fight fires down there. Do you seek these jobs out or do they seem to find you? I think it's a little bit of both. Uh, all the stuff that I've been doing, I've been doing a long time. I mean, obviously at the end of the day, it's it's income driven. But, uh, you know, I've made a lot of connections over the years. And uh, there's an old saying, don't push a rope. You know, I, I don't like I don't like to force it. I, it's it's kind of got to, I have to try. You got to put feelers out, but then it also has to come together. So. Um, I think it's both, you know. Yeah, when you were working in New Zealand, was that a job that you applied for or did they come to you for that? Or was that something you just decided, hey, I'm going to go ski, you know, our summer, their winter. How did that job come about? Uh, that that was kind of an easy deal for me. I, uh, Brad Carpenter, one of my friends, was uh, forecasting in Sun Valley and sometimes Sun Valley Heli Ski, if we were going out to do a recon or look at some snow, we'll, we'll take one of the Sawtooth Avalanche Center folks with us so they can do some snow science and, and hang around, look at some of our terrain. And we grabbed Brad Carpenter and we started talking and he was like, 
oh, I work in New Zealand and I knew, and I said, hi, oh, that sounds pretty interesting. And then I asked him about it later and he, and he sent me a bunch of different places that I could apply. And then I didn't even have any time. I, I was just buried heli skiing all the time. And then one day he sends me an email and he says, just put a resume together and send it to this guy. And I said, well, I don't really have much time. He's like, just write anything down. And I sent it to uh, the guys at Porter's, Porter Heights in New Zealand, which is in the Craggy Burn range. And they gave me a job, took care of my visa and gave me a job and I headed over. It was pretty easy for, for me. It was a, it was a luck. It was just good timing. They really needed somebody and I was available. So yeah, it worked out great. I mean, you got to ski our summer and their winter. Is there anything there in New Zealand that they do a little bit differently than than they do here as far as the ski areas go? There is some things that are different. Uh, the first thing is that it's a very windy place. Like You can hardly find bumps at most of this. In New Zealand, it's called a ski field, not a resort. And there's hardly any bumps at the ski fields because the, the bumps get filled in or shaved off pretty consistently by the wind. And then... One big difference in New Zealand is what's called the uh, club field or a clubby, call it clubby. And that is these old, they're ski, they're, they're ski resorts, ski fields that have rope toes only. They don't have uh, T-bars or, or chairlifts. And, and in their infancy, it was just a bunch of tough Kiwi people that would get together and one person would say, well, I've got a big long rope. And the other one would say, well, I have an old tractor and they would, together just put together a ski resort a ski field and then it evolved to where now you can you can become a member of them you can pay for your ski for your uh, season pass or you can work it off so some of these lodges are incredible because maybe someone's a carpenter and they say i want to work my ski pass off as a carpenter and so the, and they love this this ski field because it's their home ski field so some of the lodges are quite ornate with all the TLC that these individuals have put into this resort over the 20 or 30 or sometimes more years that they've been a member. And I need to get down there and, and check that out for myself. That sounds awesome. Hey, switching gears just a little bit, no pun intended. Uh, talk to me a little about your ski gear. Are, are you one of those guys that uh, rolls with what you have or are you pretty particular about uh, the ski gear that you use? Um, I'm pretty particular, I, I guess. Like the one thing with ski guiding that I've always felt is your gear needs to be pretty tight because you don't have time to be fiddling with your stuff because your guests, someone's always going to have something that they need help with. And it's a lot easier if your stuff's tight and then, and then you don't have any problems, then you can save that time to help your guests. So I would say I'm pretty particular. At the end of the day, there's also sometimes you just got to make stuff work. Alex, when you're out guiding, are you switching skis quite often or are you mostly just rolling with one length and with a ski uh, for most days? Usually guiding, I mean, I have different pairs of skis, but they're all relatively the same shape. They're, they're relatively large ski with alpine bindings, especially, it doesn't mean guests necessarily need as much ski as a guide would have, but our, our packs are a little bigger because we have a little bit of extra gear in there and also you know we might be doing ski cutting um thumping on the snow and if if something does kick out or or you're trying to do a ski cut and and you maybe take a little more than you wanted to it's nice to have a big platform under you to get to get out of that 
And I'm not saying you should try to ski out of every, you know, you can ski out of every avalanche. Like it's very common in Alaska to knock sloughs out of the way so that your clients don't get caught up in them. And, and sometimes maybe you think it's going to be small and it's just a little bigger than you think it is. Sure. That makes sense. Uh, when you're saying a bigger ski, are you thinking like a 110, 120, 125? Uh, what size ski are you usually skiing on? 120. Like 116 to 120 is a pretty good zone. I'm I'm somewhere in there between 120 or 116 and 122. Yeah, so you are skiing one of the bigger skis uh, out there as far as powder skis uh, go. Uh, as, as far as gear that you bring other than skis and the shovel, beacon probe, all that kind of stuff, is there something unusual that you have with you all the time that sometimes you find other skiers uh, that you're out with don't tend to have? Um, there's a few things. Uh, for, well, for one, I always like to have a snow saw that will also cut wood. I think that's a pretty nice tool to have when you're in the backcountry environment. Um, you know, I have a Leatherman, but I also keep a pocket knife and a lighter in my pocket. Uh, obviously, I like to have a compass. Uh, and then one thing that's really nice to have is a rescue sled and a, or a guide tarp. Uh, a guy in Canada, Alpine Threadworks, makes a really nice one that is both. It's a it's about a pound and a half, but it will either make a bivy or a shelter, or you can actually package a person and and sled them up or down or around on the mountain in in the in the tarp. So it serves two purposes: it's shelter and it's also an extraction device. So those are pretty handy to have as well. And uh, what was the name of that again? Al- Alpine Threadworks. And that's something you can find online, I would think. You can, yeah, yeah. That's a really great tool. And then the other thing is just, you know, I do think it's important to have a, a reasonable, not huge, but a first aid kit, you know, uh, a carry up an and then some bleeding control and then just a few other odds and ends um, just in case. Yeah, of course, never a bad idea to have some of that stuff as well. Hey, Alex, I know with winter coming up this year will be a little bit different with uh, COVID and all. Does Sun Valley Heliski have some plans in place already, or are you just going to kind of see how the winter progresses and, and take it how it comes? It's both. Uh, we've spent a lot of time on a plan. Um, it's obviously evolving now and, and going to evolve. It's basically normal precautions. Like the only good thing for us is that there has been guiding river and rock and mountain guiding going on through the summer. So we can learn from from some of those folks and and what they've been through. Uh, our biggest crux is the close proximity in the helicopter. That's some of these other guided trips. They're just like, oh, just don't get close to each other, and it's it's fine. And then wear masks when appropriate. So we are trying to work with that and figure out how to deal with that. But uh, yeah, we've been talking to our medical advisor and a lot of people, and uh, we're optimistic. Um, I think that you know, with the right kinds of masks and a lot of disinfectant, mainly on the gloves, you know, because that's the, you're probably not going to get anything on your shell that you're going to transmit to someone else necessarily. But, you know, we all know that when it's winter, you wipe your nose with your gloves when you're out in the snow skiing. And so um, they'll be able to use some disinfectant wipes for that. And uh, a lot of our a lot of our other crux is just at the facilities. So we have a plan together with the just different ways to keep staff and guests um, separated as much as possible. We'll be doing Zoom briefings. Uh, I know there's a possibility of testing, but I'm, 
I'm not sure what will happen with that. That's where, where we're at right now is trying to see if we can secure test. Secure being the, the, the key word is like, we'd love to be able to test everyone, but we don't want to do it unless we can continue that. It's not really useful if it only is here and there. So that's actually what we're working on right now. Yeah, I'd imagine like everything else, it's sort of one of those things where we'll kind of have to wait and see how it all plays out. But at least you guys have a plan in the works. Alex, if somebody wanted to get a hold of you, wanted to find out more about Sun Valley Heli Ski, how would they do that? If you want to reach me directly, email would be great. My email is alex.kittrell at gmail.com. Uh, if you want to look at stuff at Sun Valley Heli Ski or Majestic Heli Ski, both those uh, websites are easily available on online. And then if you just want more information about Heli Ski in the United States, you can also check out Heli Ski US, their website. And uh, that is a trade organization that a number of Heli Ski operators in the United States are members of. It's a, basically a self-regulating organization. We set a, a level of standards that we feel is appropriate for the heli ski industry. And then we, as different companies, essentially audit each other to make sure that we all feel like we're all up to this standard that we've agreed upon. And there's a, a number of heli ski operators listed on there as well. Cool. Well, thanks, Alex. Thanks for joining me on the Talking Skiing podcast. And we'll just kind of wish for the best here for this upcoming season. And Hopefully we'll see you out there. It's supposed to snow here tonight, so we'll just put our best foot forward, Lenny. All right, there you have it, Alex Kittrell. I hope you enjoyed this first episode of the Talking Skiing Podcast. If you did, please subscribe. We'll have more episodes coming just about every week. Again, thanks for listening to the Talking Skiing Podcast, and we'll catch up with you again next time.